So, as uh, Joel introduced, my name is Troy, and I really appreciate uh, you welcoming me here this morning to bring God's word to you, to worship with you in song, and uh, that, um, that I'll just be joining with you as we enter God's word together. And I'm just going to briefly, briefly share with you a little bit about myself, how I ended up here. Um, I'm originally from Aberdeen, South Dakota, and I came down to Sioux Falls for college um, at Augustana, and then I recently graduated this spring. And uh, in my time at college, I was uh, introduced to Connection Church, where I'm coming to you from this morning, and the way that godly men and women have discipled me there and um, refined me. Some of them are here this morning supporting me. It's a big encouragement. So I, I know we have not, most, for most of us, we have not met, but um, I already feel welcome that uh, we're on this mission uh, for God's kingdom together. So just, I really thank you for allowing me to come share God's word with you. Now, by being here, I would hope I'm not just in a position to fill in, in, in some sense, while you're without a pastor. Although that's inherently true that I am filling in, I think there's rightly a posture of meekness that can lead a congregation like you to be even more focused on Jesus. Now, I say meekness intentionally. That's not a common word we use, right? But meekness, and this is the language Jesus used, meekness is not necessarily the, the absence of all excitement or the absence of any sort of assertion of any ideas. But meekness, when used rightly, it's the absence of self-assertion. It's a posture of, I've, I'm giving up on some of the things that I was hoping in, and I'm hoping in something different. And that's, that's a posture I really hope that we can be in together as we enter God's word this morning. And again, with the newness of a different preacher, you don't know me, and there's a natural discomfort that can come week after week with someone that's 23 years old coming to open God's word with you. But I want to invite you to consider that God might even be working this morning amidst all the uncertainties that might be attached to this morning, amidst any changes that are occurring. And if I gave this morning's sermon a title, I would say it's keeping the kingdom of God in sight. That is, when I say the kingdom of God, that is God's sovereign rule over salvation and all of his creation. How we're keeping that in sight this morning. And to do that, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. If you want to open your Bibles with me, we'll be there in a moment. Mark chapter 4. And I chose this text before I realized that you guys had just been in a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. But um, I went back and, and saw what Pastor Steve had, had shared from this, from this text. And actually, I'm really excited to build off of some of the things he said. So um, Mark chapter 4 is we will be. And before we get to the text, and we will be in actually verse 26, if you want to put your finger there before we get there, I want to kind of reintroduce some of what Mark's gospel is all about, the author, and what its purpose was. So we know the author is Mark, or John Mark, other places we see his name, and that he was in Rome helping the apostle Peter, one of the 12 disciples, helping him plant and build this church in Rome. And uh, Mark is thought to be an interpreter for Peter. He, he would translate different uh, languages for him and share these eyewitness accounts that Peter had with the people in Rome. 
And so over time, Mark had this storehouse of all these good stories that Peter would share about his time with Jesus. And so he was writing this gospel from the perspective, as we see in the gospel of Mark, a lot of the perspective is from Peter. And unfortunately, though, the occasion for the gospel, why he decided to sit down, compile all these uh, accounts of Jesus, was actually not all positive. In Rome, at this time, uh, shortly after Peter actually died and they had lost this apostle, um, the Roman emperor, Nero, you might have heard of him, was actually persecuting the Christians because there's these accusations that these fires were being started in Rome that, by the Christians. And these false accusations were leading to hatred and persecution, even potentially death for the Roman Christians. So you could think of this gospel as a pastoral response to the Christians in Rome at the time. At the time that they were being isolated and hated for the faith in Christ. And so amidst these interrogations, you could even just imagine that if you're this Roman believer, this is a Gentile, so you're not of Jewish ethnicity, you're already being isolated from your people. And then now the Roman authorities are coming forward and saying, are you a Christian? And the way they answered that could potentially lead to their death and persecution or that they would deny Christ and be safe. And so these questions were coming up for these believers, like, is this worth it? Should we, should we continue following Jesus? Because it could lead to our death. Is this worth dying for? Is this, this, this religion that came from the Jews, is this really real? And those questions that they had at that time, I think are very relevant this morning for you and me this morning. And now, like I said, I'm, I'm 23 years old. I don't have a lot of experience, a lot of life experience that I remember. But I know that in anybody's rhythms of life, you can get to a point and think, now is, is what I'm doing here, is it really worth it? Do I need to make a change or something? How long is this going to go on? Whatever it may be. So this gospel, I think, is perfect for us this morning. I'm really excited to dig into it with you because although you're not being tortured or killed for your faith in Christ, Crosspoint Church, you may be wondering, is, is this morning, is, is this our church right now, is this all that I was hoping for? Or am I disappointed or am I expecting something different? Those questions are good. And likewise, the Roman believers at this time and this occasion they were expecting something better. They thought that this new faith was going to be amazing. So they could be disappointed as well. They were maybe hoping for a, a better life. So Mark writes his gospel, compiles all these stories about Jesus to remind them what the purpose is and to keep the kingdom of God in sight. So before we get into that uh, fourth chapter of Mark, let me pray. Ask God to bless this message and his word this morning. So please pray with me. God, we know that you've given us your word uh, for us to understand you better so that we can see how you have uh, made and even our fulfilling promises in people like us who really, we don't bring anything to the table. God, I ask this morning that you would not only show us the truth in your text, but also that you would point us to Christ and the work he's already accomplished for us. I said we would also lead this morning 
amazed at how you have chosen to build your kingdom in your ways. Amen. So, like, kind of by way of introduction to this chapter, I just want to briefly look at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and that is, that is going to help us kind of understand where the scene is, the context for what Jesus says later on. So, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. So, setting the context, Jesus has got all these huge crowds following him. He's doing miracles. He's teaching miraculous things. And he can't even get a breath of air, right? And so, he decides to get on a boat, create some space, by having some water between. I bet people were already going into the water too, so he probably needed some depth as well, just so he could get a word out to these people that were just crowding him and not leaving him alone. And there were times when Jesus couldn't even get a meal because they were crowding him so much. So, so he, he, got, he gets these gathered people around this, the Sea of Galilee, he's in this boat, and he begins to speak to them in parables. Now, what's a parable? And this might be something that you're quite familiar with, but I really want to just redefine it so we know how to approach the text we'll be in. The purpose of a parable is, when Jesus used them, was to understand some deeper truth, right? This is kind of something we know. That there's, there's a story, but it pointed to something deeper. And we have other words like this, right? Like paramedic, parachute, right? Parable. And what does, a par- what does a paramedic do? It goes alongside some person to a healthcare professional. Or it, a parachute brings someone to the ground. It's not the end, but it's, it's kind of a, it, it helps bring, bring about some intended purpose. So in the same way, a parable, Jesus would use this story to point to some deeper truth. Now, it also... Um, because you might be familiar with this parable, it would be easy to think that a parable is some common moral lesson that we need to just understand and apply to our lives, and that's it. But the key to the parable is that Jesus taught things in parables specifically to people that didn't understand. He used these because they, they were convinced of something else. And his purpose was not just to correct their thinking, but to push beyond that, past the cognitive, to elicit a change in the person, a change in their action, a change in their attitude, a change in their belief. It was to address some misunderstanding that the people had. He he shared parables with the Pharisees. He shared parables with the crowds. And this applies today, right? We could be really deceived about a lot of things and have strong convictions that this parable might be able to open up and elicit some sort of a change. Because let's be honest with ourselves, we tend to be most confused about the things that are most central to our very purpose and our identity. I'm going to say that again. We tend to be most confused, the most deceived about the things that are very close to our very existence and our purpose. 
So when you're reading a parable, I really want to encourage you, it is a time for you to be very honest with yourself about what you actually functionally believe. And so Crosspoint Church, we haven't read the parable yet, have we? <laughs> it's a long introduction. But you have a really, really unique opportunity to listen. And I've, I've been looking at this. It's been working in me as well. You're in a transition period. There's a lot of uncertainties. So let's use this as a time to open up and see in meekness how God might use that in this uncertainty of not having a pastor or not having all the people you thought that might be here, not having the community, the, the brotherly love that Andy talked about last week. Maybe some of these things are missing. So it, how long is this going to go on, might you ask? Well, let's see how God's word might be changing our thoughts and our actions and that it would be something better that actually God has for us. So now, as you've been eagerly anticipating, Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 29, is a pretty short parable. So read along with me, starting in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You see, this parable, as, as is the title of this sermon, is about this, this coming kingdom of God, keeping it in sight, and to set the context for why Jesus is sharing this, and he's, he's teaching these, these Jewish people that are following him, he's talking about this new kingdom that they're anticipating. He's this Messiah, the one that they've been expecting for hundreds of years. And it's not really what they expected would happen, right? They, the Jewish people thought that this Messiah would bring a, a new kingdom, a national salvation for all the Israelites. But that's not really what he's doing. He's... And he, he has these huge crowds, but nobody really seems to understand exactly how he's going to build this new kingdom, how he's going to uh, deliver them from the Romans. So they had some pretty fair questions. And uh, they had some pretty strong convictions that they weren't getting fulfilled. And even amongst this huge crowd that's at the sea that you're picturing, there's only a few real disciples that stick with him throughout his ministry. And even they were confused. And it took extra, extra discipleship that Jesus would teach these people, these disciples, in these parables. And it even got to a point in Luke chapter 13, I'll just read this real, real quick. Uh, Luke chapter 13, one of the disciples comes up to him uh, while he's going through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem, and someone, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? I thought it was going to be huge. Why is it so small right now? Why is there only a few of us following you? When are you going to build this kingdom? And so, again, it's a reasonable question for them to be asking. It's not what they thought was going to happen. And, and they're thinking, is it even possible this way? Did you think of this, Jesus? Maybe we should approach it this way. Uh, maybe we should establish like some, some big building or establish a kingdom of some sort of a hierarchy. 
Jesus is saying, no, it's going to be like something you've never expected. It's going to be something completely different. So, for us this morning, Cross Point, there's some relevant questions too, like what were we going to think our, our service is going to be like at our church or our leaders or uh, maybe our community's got some problems or maybe it's our congregation, is it us? Who is it? What's, what's the problem? Are there problems here? And again, these are good questions. It's reasonable to ask these things throughout our lives. But you see, Again, Jesus is saying in this parable to people that don't understand his ministry, he's saying the kingdom of God, it's coming. But it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's going to be something way, way better. It's it's something you couldn't have even expected. Let me reread this, and then we're going to walk through it. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, And the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So, it's pretty simple, right? We have a farmer. He... It's a metaphor, right? It's as if a man, the kingdom of God is as if a man or a a farmer were to scatter some, some seed on the ground. I don't, I'm from Aberdeen, but I'm definitely not a farmer, so I'm limited in my understanding here. As if a man should scatter seed on the ground, he goes to sleep, he wakes up, and there's some, there's some sprouts, and he can't really explain what's going on, okay? And it's not, it seems like the earth is producing this, this sprout, and then later on, when it's harvesting time, he harvests. Pretty simple story, right? But remember, the parable is not, that's not just a story. It's to push beyond. And so what he's teaching his disciples is that, that this, this kingdom of God, it's like if someone is spreading God's word, and, and this God's word is going to land on different soils. Remember, this is what Pastor Steve talked about back in May when he was in chapter 4, this parable of the four soils, the different responses to God's word. And so when the seed, got, seed or the God's word lands on the good soil, then it, then it grows. And it grows into this beautiful harvest. And, and that first uh, parable of the sower, it's, that it produces 30, 60, 100-fold, that the harvest is huge from just a little seed. But the point here, and in, in the intention of this parable, the reason Jesus adds it in this, in this teaching on the kingdom of God he wants you to understand that, he wants to point out that the farmer doesn't really understand what's going on. And in the same way, we can't really explain why somebody would want to be a Christian, why somebody would decide to follow Christ and be a believer and be convinced of the things that Jesus has done. There's this mystery to it. And just in case you're, you want to think, no, 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 he's being lazy, right? The farmer, he could do so much more to make the seed grow, right? Well, he could put some fertilizer, he could pull weeds. That's not the point. The point of this parable, the emphasis is that the farmer does nothing to make it grow. He scatters seed and he goes to sleep. And just in case you're you're apt to think, no, 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 he's gotta do something, Jesus clarifies, he doesn't even know how it happens. 
all the forces of growth, whether it's a seed sprouting or, or the word in a person, all the forces of growth are completely separated from the farmer. And again, again, I say this is a mystery, right? He doesn't understand how it happens. But he does understand one thing. The farmer does understand one thing, a necessary element, and that's the first part, scattering the seed. Now I'm going to read from Romans chapter 10. Um, if you're quick, quick figured you can get there. Otherwise, you can just listen to me. Romans chapter 10. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to this Roman church that, that we would expect would be some of the first to hear this gospel. So Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 17, um, just to build the context. Starting in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, verse 17, this is key. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, I want to reiterate, the word is the seed, right? That the, the farmer is spreading the word. And he knows his job. It's spread the word and go to sleep. Now, in the church, in, in this congregation this morning, as well as myself and other churches in town, who does this? If, if we ask the question, who's the one that's supposed to spread and scatter the seed? Who is it? Is it the pastor? Is it the international missionary? Is it the, the theologians in the seminaries? Well, the text is saying that the requirements to spread seed are to have seed, right? There's no special qualification to be a farmer here. And this is, this is the point of the parable is that the, the, the work is in uh, something mysterious that God does. And the only thing that the man does, he just, he just spreads the word. He spreads the seed and is expecting that God will do something. Well, okay, still we're at some things that are pretty, pretty clear from this parable. Let's get a little bit deeper to the next set of verses, 27 and 28. And this is pretty cool. I, I, I like pointing this out. Verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Okay, verse 28, the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. So I want to point out that little phrase in verse 28, by itself. Uh, another way to say that word or translate that word would be automatically. The earth produces automatically the blade, ear, and full grain in the ear. So, is speaking to the process or how uh, the word or the seed grows, right? And to help you out, let me give you a mostly real-life scenario that I don't fully remember. This is a reiteration of something my dad told me I did when I was three. So um, we're going off of what my dad said. So when I was three, um, my brother and I were outside. I do kind of remember this. My brother and I were outside, and somehow my dad was telling us that if you want to grow a tree, you can put a stick in the ground, 
even if it's just a small stick that you plant in the ground, foot high, if you wait, you'll get a full tree. And I'm thinking, wow, yeah, I'm three, right? So I believe him. And my, my, now my brother's older, so he should have known better, but he believed him too. And so we, we, we go find a stick, put it in the ground. My dad says, no, just wait. So my brother and I, we wait for a little bit, lose interest, run around, chase a cat, run inside, grab a snack. And maybe a couple hours later, come back outside. We look, and there's a stick. Dad, look, it grew. It's twice the size it was before. Little did we know that when my brother and I are running off, my dad takes a bigger stick and replaces it with the stick that we put in the ground without us knowing. And so my dad plays it cool and says, see, I told you, it's growing. It, that's how trees grow automatically. You see where I'm going with this? So we we uh, think, okay, well, well, maybe it'll get bigger, right? So we leave, maybe go take a nap, get up, maybe get a snack, come back outside. And that stick, yeah. Dad, look, the stick's growing. It's a, it has leaves. How'd this happen? It's amazing. And I'm three years old, and this is just blowing my mind that did all trees grow this way? We should grow, we get a tree farm. Look, that's funny, but the point is the same. That this, this stick, from my perspective, it's growing all by itself. Obviously, my dad's coming in, interceding, but I planted the stick, and I went and took a nap, and now it's a tree. And so... I was amazed. And that's the point of this, right? That this mysterious growth that happens by itself automatically is, the, is really some of the point of this parable, right? We may be the means to plant seeds or uh, put a stick in the ground, but we can't make it grow. We're not the power to make it grow. And I would ask you, Crosspoint, this morning, that you would have that same amazement when God would put growth in a person, that God would permit someone to grow in the knowledge and love of Christ. That is why this is all worth it. Because when that happens, the amazement that a three-year-old me has at this, this hoax, when you see that happen in a person and that that would happen in a body of believers like yourselves, that is putting God's glory on display, isn't it? That's why we don't give up because we are expecting that God will bring growth and that we can trust and we can actually go to sleep. Now, this is our encouragement, right? But I wanna see, I wanna thread this consistent theme of disappointment that might, might be relevant. And that's between Crosspoint, Roman believers in Rome being persecuted and the disciples that Jesus is teaching. First, Crosspoint. In a time without a pastor, a time of transition, it can be really hard. Like, I don't know what it's like. I haven't been in that many churches, and I haven't been a believer that long. But I would anticipate it can be a little uncertain. It can be a little disappointing, maybe. And also with the Roman believers, this new faith from the Jews, it sounds amazing. Jesus died for our sins. And that we can have faith in that, and he saves us. But now they're being killed? 
that, they could have some serious fear and disappointment. The disciples, they're expecting this great kingdom to be established. The Jewish, uh, the salvation for all Jews. They were excited about this, but now Messiah, what are you, why are you doing it this way? They're confused. Relevant questions. And these are all reasons to doubt, maybe be disappointed with not getting the thing that you would expect, maybe. But this is key here. What I think Jesus is teaching through this parable is that when the plan doesn't seem to go like you hoped, it is to remind you of the very life and work of Jesus. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 33. I really, really want you to see this this morning. It's a huge encouragement. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 33. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and that after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that it? That Peter was like, you can't die. You're our Messiah. This is not part of the plan, Jesus. You need to change your strategy. And at that moment of disappointment, this is what we're called to remember, right? Because the message of the gospel is of an unexpected Savior being mocked, beaten, and killed when he's completely innocent. That looks like a huge, huge scam. Think of the loss to see our Savior on a cross. The disappointment that the Jews must have had. To see this is what we were hoping in? This Messiah on the cross? But we know that's not how it ends, right? That in this, in this, this death of Jesus on the cross, that that's not, not the end of it. That he, yes, he died, but he rose three days later, didn't he? And he rose in victory over sin and death and hell, and that he had actually purchased for us in what looked like the biggest scam in the world. He was actually purchasing salvation for all of you and me and the whole world. That's good news, right? That's an encouragement at the point of what looks like a complete loss. And nobody could have expected it. It was like nothing they could have ever expected. God is building his kingdom in ways that you wouldn't believe, just like the way he saved us. But when we forget, what does Peter do? He, says, he begins to rebuke him, right? When we forget, there's a huge temptation to re-strategize or try and get a new plan or use this American success story, trying to re, re, uh, get some better leaders or something like that. It's got, there's got to be a problem. So, I mean, let's look at this two ways, two scenarios. One scenario, let's say that God building his kingdom is completely on us and that we must do it all. If that's true, we got a pretty big task, don't we? 
we got a lot of work to do to spread this gospel all over the world and teach people about Jesus and then try and convince them and persuade them to leave whatever it is that they currently believe in and now follow Jesus. And that's our task. And we're not going to be able to sleep very much, are we? The second scenario, if it's God, if God works out the building of his kingdom and the growth of new believers, new sprouts, new sticks, then we have a really simple task, don't we? We just scatter some seeds, and then what? What's the man do? Goes to sleep. He can rest. This is something God does, right? Isn't that so much better than it all being on our shoulders? Look at this, verse 28. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. God has a process, doesn't he? But we don't understand it. And that's, that's our encouragement, that from a little dry seed, a little unassuming seed that looks dead, there's new life, Right? And it's something we can't explain. The man doesn't understand. In the same way, we cannot change people's hearts. God does that. We cannot build God's church by our own means. But in that, understanding the necessary component, right? The, the word of Christ, that God would bring growth from that. And that's, that would be our hope. Now, how does this parable end? In verse 29, um, turn back there. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is talking about a harvest, a a gathering of all the fruit of the seed. Later on in uh, Revelation, toward the end of your Bible, the Apostle John has this vision. And there's a lot of things that are prophesied or fulfilled and promised. And in verse 15 of chapter 14, um, he says, he sees, and another angel came down from the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. The Apostle John, he's pointing forward, right, to a, a visible manifestation of God's kingdom on earth, of this harvest the result of all this sowing of seeds. And my challenge for you this morning is that, or I want you to first think of this in your own chair. The kingdom of God is like blank. Fill in that sentence. When you think of what is the kingdom of God like, how would you explain that to somebody? What would you point to? What would be your metaphor to represent God's kingdom to somebody? And my challenge to you, that you would be able to say, the kingdom of God, it's like Crosspoint Church. Like, this is, the, this is my best reflection of what it must be like in God's kingdom. That's my challenge for you. That's my hope for you. And to see where I'm going with this, or why I think this way, look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. What does that mean? If we're ambassadors? Well, let's, let's do this. Where does an ambassador live? In a different country, right? Ambassadors don't live at home. You're not much of an ambassador if you're in your own country. 
Okay, so they live in a different country. What do they do? Well, the ambassador, if I was a U.S. ambassador to Italy, I'm representing the United States to Italy. Okay, so they're representatives of some sort. Where do they work? If we have 20 U.S. ambassadors in Italy, what, where, do they, what do they do? Where do they work? Well, the embassy, right? We know that. So you're telling me that you have these ambassadors that are representing a different country, living in a different place, on a different soil, that is representing a different place, a different country that they're from. So what I'm trying to tell you is that this embassy or these ambassadors are actually the visible manifestation in that, in that foreign country. And so, are you, like, are you with me on this? Like, how, how we, as the church, belong to another kingdom, right? We, we have the citizenship in heaven, but we're not at home. And we gather as these ambassadors regularly to represent and manifest what God is doing and will accomplish one day. So, if I ask you, what is the kingdom of God like? Come look, this is what my church is like. It's, it's representing what God is accomplishing. That's cool. So what does this look like functionally? Well, I think I don't need to speak too much on this because Andy's sermon last week about this word Philadelphia, right? this brotherly love that is manifested in community is actually kind of how the kingdom of God works, right? That we have this sacrificial love for each other, that we lay down our, our own ambitions and actually want to submit to a better ambition that is for God's kingdom, right? And that we can be building each other up in love as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a reflection of the kingdom, and that's cool. But wherever this is untrue, wherever there's things that don't look like the kingdom the, that God promises, that's where we need to repent. That's where we need to turn back to the mission and the ambition of the gospel to um, build God's church. Now, I'm not saying we, we throw away every um, plan or every strategy and stuff like that, but this is where we need to return to the reality that God brings the growth and that we, as we scatter seeds, we're able to sleep. And as we're kind of nearing the end of the, the purpose of this parable, I want to join with you in this confession. That, that we can be so quick to trusting our strategies and working really, really hard. And if you know me very well, that's definitely where I err, is working too hard. When I got saved, when God... Um, opened my heart to believe in Jesus, I was defined by, I defined myself based on how much I could accomplish in a week, right? This is a very South Dakota thing, right? That we can work really hard and say, I was this productive this week. And so how much, what did you do today? Or like, how much did you do this week? How many hours did you put in, right? And that, that's what defined me. And to this day, I still define myself that way. It is really hard to change that part of me. And so when I got saved, I'm thinking, 
okay, so I've been living for myself, working super hard. Now I can live for the kingdom, working super hard, right? And that God's going to use me specially to do miraculous things that nobody else could do and that I would be something now in the kingdom. That's an interesting ambition, isn't it? But God had mercy on me. He humbles me and put me in a community with people that humble me, tell me to calm down, and that there's godly men and women at my church at Connection that even the ones that have come here today that frequently remind me um, that I'm actually fully dependent on God. And so I had this ambition that, that God would use me for these great and magnificent things in his kingdom, but now I'm starting to believe something else that I'm just called to be an ambassador and that I'm called to be faithful and obedient to what God's already done and that the heart issues in me would be a bigger thing for me to change than worrying about how God is going to do everything outside of me. And this is the hard part, right? To look inside of ourselves and say, where is it in my heart that I'm not actually representing the kingdom? What are the relationships that I'm hurting people in and what are the places that I'm Fearing failure, so I'm working extra hard. This is me. If you don't know me, this is, this is speaking right to me. How I define success, all that. That's, a, that's the part of me that needs to change. And I hope that with you as well. I want to close with this, and I hope this is helpful. Over the past couple of years, I've had a really cool opportunity to meet different missionaries. And there's one missionary couple um, that I've had a really special relationship with. They live in uh, Seattle, but um, we've communicated over other means. And um, they lived most of their lives in Africa, working with a very resistant Muslim people group, very skeptic. And throughout their lives and careers, like, they saw very little fruit, that there wasn't, there was maybe one church planted but it was actually by a different organization. And so them as a couple, in the, in the eyes of, from the outside, it could look like they're failures. And this summer, um, they came to uh, South Dakota, and I got to talk to them a little bit. And they actually shared with me that in their years of ministry to this people, that they actually never led somebody to Christ. And I'm thinking, oh, how do I respond to that? You know what the next thing he said to me? He said, but we're not failures. We see this as a success. Because we've spent our whole life sowing God's seed amongst these people. We don't know. We, we are able to sleep because then we know that God will bring the growth in these people. And that we don't need to stay up late worrying or re-strategizing or replanning or sending a, a new 100 missionaries with a better strategy that's not, the goal. That's not the point. They saw their lives, and to this day, see their lives as success because they scattered seed, and they were able to sleep. And they know that, that in that little seed is the potential for a, a magnificent harvest. So in that, to summarize it, it's to say that success in ministry, in life, is not measured by the end result. That's not how we measure it. It is measured by our faithfulness to the task. We are not failures when we don't see fruit. We'll be failures if we stop spreading seed 
We stop hoping in a harvest. The mission of the church is to make disciples, right? So when you see like a successful church, a big church, or um, a lot of fruit, please don't credit the pastor. He might be doing, being faithful, but all he's doing is scattering seed, and God's bringing the growth. Praise God when you see that happening. The mission of the church is to make disciples. We don't go around pulling sprouts from the ground after we sow seeds. That's not possible. That's not reasonable. We scatter and we sleep. We're not lazy, but we eagerly anticipate that there will be a harvest and that it's going to be way better than we expected. We're not part of a kingdom where God is dependent on us, but we are to be faithful and obedient to what he's already done in Christ. Now, that is really good news this morning. Please pray with me. God, thank you that your word uh, just blows our expectations out of the water every time. That in such a small text, a simple parable, um, you'd be even reshaping the way we think about your kingdom. And that you, you, you need us not for the growth, but you uh, give us the opportunity to scatter seed. We get to spread the best news in the world is that is that Christ died for sinners, that he came and bore all, all the, the debt that we couldn't repay on our own, and that he rose in victory and he's bringing us in for this harvest. God, help us to be obedient and faithful to what you've done. And at the end of the day, even when it doesn't look like what we expect, God, help us to rest Rest knowing that you will fulfill everything you've promised. God, we love you and we need you. I pray that you would just shape our minds this morning. In Christ's name, amen.